Okay, we'll go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Under 30 Focus workshop meeting. My name is Beth. I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and your moderator for this meeting. Hello. Please join us in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. The session is being recorded. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there is any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. The format for this session is as follows. Three speakers will share for 15 minutes each, followed by questions and answers. An Ask It basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in the box for our panelists. The topic for this session is recovery for folks under 30, and our first speaker is Marlene. Hi, everyone. My name is Marlene. I'm a bulimic in recovery. Hi. Wow, I've never used a microphone before. I've never been to convention. This is very official. Um, so welcome, everyone, for um, those of you who are new. I'm really grateful that you could make it here. You're the most important people in the room. Um, I was really welcomed in the beginning when I was a newcomer, and um, that was sort of um, that was just indispensable for me. So um really made me feel like I was immediately a part of this program, which has absolutely saved my life. So um, because this is a under 30 meeting, I'll just give my um, my spiel. I, um, I've been in program for six and a half years. I've been abstinent for six years and four months. Um, I am 25 now. I joined when I was 18. And um, I... I'm from Northern California, Santa Fe, California. And um, so I'll just share kind of what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Um, I I feel like I was always, um, food has always done something really special for me that nothing else has been able to do. Um, I My first word was food was, no, it was good while eating food um, growing up. I loved going to other people's houses. My family was very um, strict with food and intense about, like, certain foods, you know, like organic foods and, um, you know, not having any, like, processed whatever. And so um, other people's houses were really exciting for me. Um, And I remember just 
like being fascinated by pantries and going inside and stealing food from, you know, friends. And I remember like, I wasn't invited over to like my friend's houses, like back in elementary school. Cause I was so lame. Like I would just kind of ditch them and just go to the pantry, um, and hang out with the bagels and cereals and, um, you know, like donuts and whatever else. Um, and I, um, my parents put me on a commercial weight loss program when I was nine years old. Um, I had about a five pound weight loss goal. Um, and for them, they both, you know, experienced a lot of bullying growing up and they noticed that I was gaining weight and wanted to, um, wanted to spare me from having to experience any bullying. So, um, for me, uh, that was, you know, and they both were on this like second jobs had as working for this commercial weight loss program. So it had really helped them. But for me, it just made me really aware of my body. Um, and that it might be better if it was changed. Um, I then started abusing laxatives when I was in middle school. Um, and I also, um, like clung on to my like one really skinny friend. Um, and I would, you know, like her mom was an aerobics instructor. And so I would have her like, you know, teach me aerobics routines, you know, whatever. And, um, and just, you know, like was fascinated with losing weight and just never felt like I had any control though around, um, around food and just, yeah, just, it always was just this like safe, warm, wonderful, um, escape for me that I didn't exist in real life. Um, and yeah, like I, you know, one story I tell a lot is, um, when I was, I think I was like five years old. I grew up in a pretty violent household. Um, and I remember there was some, you know, just shady stuff going on, um, that was really intense. And, um, we had like, um, we had called them bumpy bars growing up, like those ice cream bars, you know, whatever, like they come in a three pack in the grocery store. And we got one every night if we were really good. And I had, um, my own in the kitchen, but it was supposed to be spread out over three nights. And I remember just running into the kitchen, stealing that and going back into my room and, and locking the door and just deciding I was going to eat all three right then. And that, you know, like I was going to create kind of like my own cocoon of safety and not knowing what the consequences of that decision were going to be, um, you know, that all of my bumpy bars would be gone, but I was going to do it anyways. Um, when I was in high school, I joined the wrestling team, um, because, you know, I really loved that there'd be low expectations cause I was like this girly girl, but they would be really hardcore workouts. And so I could get skinny and, you know, if you have any experience with wrestling, there's a lot of kind of culturally, thank you. Um, you know, just like over-exercising and getting down weight for meats and whatever. And so that was definitely part of my story. Um, then when I was 18 on, uh, on Thanksgiving, well, I guess no, it started. So, and then I, I was, you know, binging all the time with, um, wrestling. And then I would just compulsively exercise. Like I would work out in the morning before school. I would go to school, have my wrestling match afterward. Um, and then I'd work out some more at the gym later. And it felt really unmanageable. And I remember working out like at people, you know, like who I thought were just, um, 
like I listened to like a lot of Eminem, you know, and like was just so angry and felt really victimized by the people in my life. Um, and so food and exercise were like my way of just, um, getting safety and getting some distance from things that were uncomfortable. And, um, so anyways, so I threw up for the first time on Thanksgiving, um, in 2006. Um, and that was such an amazing revelation for me. It was like, Oh my God, I just binged on all this food and now I threw up and it's like, like life has changed. Like the rules don't apply to me anymore. Like I can eat whatever I want and I'm free and it's amazing and I can be skinny and quickly became completely out of control. Um, and I was binging, you know, seven times a day, purging seven times a day. Um, not able, you know, I went away to college. I lived in New York. I had, um, like there was some really close calls for me. Um, you know, like I started getting help, heart palpitations. I had sores in my neck and my esophagus or my, my mouth and my esophagus. I, um, well, you know, had like the puffy cheeks that my teeth were really in a, in a bad state. Um, my skin was really weird. Um, I started to lose some of my hair. I lost my periods. Um, hi guys. And, um, so it was very, um, it was very frightening. And, um, what was more frightening though, was being fat, um, not feeling like I had any control over like the cyclone that was my life. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I really like, you know, somebody in another program that I'm in actually said, my solutions are worse than my problems. And I really like that because like my external problems that developed in my life, you know, like not doing well in school, um, being really weird and manipulative with men and like, you know, having kind of like the backlash of that and then, you know, being caught stealing and, you know, like whatever, like all those problems, um, and you know, like abuse, whatever, like those were like, those are things now that in program are completely manageable. You know, like those are things, well, I'm not doing like, I'm really not doing like any of those, but like, you know, just like life happens type stuff, you know, like really smooth sailing pretty much. Um, and my solutions, you know, like, and I catch myself still thinking, um, to this day that my solutions are really amazing and, um, and that they are better ones than the ones I find in OA. And then I get to become willing again, um, and be humbled again, um, so anyways, I came to, basically I, um, felt out of control. I have a family member who's in a 12 step program. And basically this person told me, you know, I heard that there's a program for food. One, there's two programs for food. One's really intense. It seems like, and the other one seems a little more lax. Maybe you should go to the one that's lax. And I said, okay. And so I went to a meeting in New York. Um, and I remember sitting at this table you know, and we were going around round robin introducing ourselves before we started reading from the big book. And this woman next to me said, hi, my name is Lindsay and I'm a bulimic. And I remember I just started sobbing, crying. It was like a 7.30 a.m. meeting. And so everybody's like, oh God, here's the crier, you know, like pass the tissues. But for me, it was such an incredible revelation because um, I had no idea that somebody else did the same things that I did with food. You know, it felt like such a dirty, um, like... 
I don't know, almost like perverted, like, you know, like just like such a dark secret that no one could know about. And, um, and this person did that with food. And after the meeting, she, um, sat down with me and she said, okay, let's talk about what you're going to eat. And today's the most important day of your life because today is the first day you're going to be abstinent. So I want you to call me a hundred times if you need to. And, um, and start going to a meeting every day. And so I, of course, didn't call her, and I didn't follow that food plan, and I didn't go to a meeting every day. Um, the next you know, few days, I remember more binging and purging, more binging and purging, more desperation. Um, and so then I just said, um, thank you, that I'll start going. Um, and that was in January of 2008. Um, and six and a half years later, um, basically the way that I worked my program today is, um, I've had a lot of different sponsors in this program of, you know, this kind of, um, you know, it's an interesting finding a fit and being under and being young in program is really interesting. I remember I always felt like this, um, insecurity about being really young and about like sponsoring other people who were much older than me, for instance, that felt really uncomfortable at first. Um, but luckily for me, you know, just like anybody else in this program who thinks that they're terminally unique, I've been able to see that it really has nothing to do with me. Um, when I sponsor somebody, when I speak at a convention, you know, which feels really intense and official, or when I, um, you know, work steps or whatever, it's like, I really am just being a vessel for God's will, you know, and I get to, um, I get to just share what was freely given to me and no more than that. You know, I really love to be the expert and the therapist in certain relationships with people in program. And that's not, um, that's not for me to do. And, um, yeah, so today, um, it's also interesting, you know, being young in program. So today, you know, I follow a food plan. I write about, you know, I've worked the steps um, twice. I write about two or three tenth steps that I send to my sponsor every week. Um, I go to about three to four meetings a week. I'm in another 12-step program um, now that deals with the people program um, because as an amends to myself, this second time through the steps um, on step nine, my sponsor said, okay, now it's time for you to go to that program because um, there's a whole lot of crazy still going on, you know, character defects that are just a little more a little more appropriate for that program. Um, and so that's been another miracle. And, um, so many character defects have been lifted for me. Um, stealing, uh, lying, um, a lot of the perfectionism that I really, um, experienced before a lot of just like wanting to hide from the world and wanting to create this alternate reality that was safe and reliable, um, that's really gone away. And I can say like, I graduated from college, um, during a time that was really not great to graduate from college as far as like economy stuff. And I moved back in with my parents and I'm 25 years old and there's a lot of pressure in our generation to be, you know, like look a certain way or, you know, it's like Facebook and, um, it's just an absolute miracle, though. I have people who are older than me in program tell me all the time how um, much they wish they had the gift of program when they were young, um, younger than they are. And um, it is literally a life beyond my wildest dreams. Um, things that are really challenging, like an end to like a 10-year relationship that I'm in <coughs> has been manageable because of program. And I'm, um, able to show up for people like my parents, um, who have been really challenging for me and who I love and are imperfect. Like I am. Um, and 
you know, like I've been able to go to, um, friends weddings and, um, and, and show up and, you know, be in a bathing suit at the beach with people who are practicing eating disorders. And I was in a sorority in college, you know, all with the help of OA and my sponsor and the steps. And, um, so I think that's like pretty much, that's pretty much everything I have to say, but, um, I'm just really, really grateful to be here and to be a member of this program. Thank you. Thanks, Marlene. Our next speaker is Rachel. Hi, I'm Rachel Compulsive Eater. Marlene, thanks so much for your share. I was like taking notes. It was so good. I, uh, first I say compulsive eater because I think a lot of, like a lot of us, um, I had a, such a variety of eating disorders from under eating to overeating to anorexia to bulimia to compulsive dieting to compulsive exercising to everything that in the end, what I really struggle with today is just eating, not necessarily overeating compulsively, but even now in my abstinence, um, watching what I call food games slip in and then saying, oh, that's a little interesting. Um, that needs to be taken care of. That's a red flag for me. So in the last, I came in the program about eight years ago. So, um, for a long time, I used to say I'm compulsive overeater, anorexia, bulimic, and it just took up too much space. So now I just say compulsive eater, (laughs) and I invite anybody to the freedom to say whatever you need to say to identify yourself. Um, I uh, came in the program when I was 23, and um, I, I, at that time, was probably about 170 pounds, and um, for me, at that time, food stopped time. Like, in the end, I ate because it like gave me an alternate reality to turn off the lights, to pretend I didn't have to go to work, to pretend I didn't have to sustain relationships in my life, to not be overwhelmed. It was almost just like the alcoholic would go to the bar and have this alternative reality, like the cheers life, except for me, it was alone in my house. <laughs> oh, watching discovery channels, like plastic surgeries gone wrong, you know, cause I was obsessed with my body and, um, eating, you know, tons of junk food and, uh, then getting sick and calling into work the next day. So I don't know why my reality seemed elusive and appealing to me, but that was eating for me stopped time and it didn't start that way. Um, I grew up in a pretty normal house. Um, I mean, now that I'm also in a people program, I can tell you that my, my family of origin is by no means like healthy, but I can say that by typical standards, we would probably describe it as normal. Um, but I do remember food being very like a very shaming secretive thing. And what I mean is, uh, the women in my extended family, I grew up between two brothers, but the women in my extended family were very much praised for being good when they turned down junk food and for being bad when they didn't like, Ooh, I'm going to be bad and have this, you know, or, um, Oh, she's so good. She can turn it down or, um, these kinds of messages. And, um, I also started Weight Watchers at a really young age with my mom, but I look at pictures of myself. I really wasn't, I mean, like I wasn't even in like the big girl clothes when I was young. So I always think that was really interesting. I think 
the shame in my family is just like passed on. Whether it was real or not, the feelings of it were. And um, I have a feeling that if I hadn't picked up food, I would have picked up something um, from that feeling embarrassed of myself. And I didn't happen to feel stupid in school. I didn't happen to feel, you know, ugly, like structurally, but I did feel fat. Like that was the way my shame took hold. And so food and body image happened to be my issue. Um, I, uh, let's see. I became anorexic when I was 10 for a couple of years. And I really don't think I knew what I was doing um, on purpose. I really do think I wanted to lose weight and I didn't know how and didn't know what I was doing. Um, I also knew that I wanted to make friends in a new school where I didn't have any. And I did I did have enough awareness to know that I was like a chubbier girl. And I thought that if I got skinny, I would make friends. And I kind of did. <laughs> So, however, I can also tell you that I got, I probably made friends because I was in school the next year and had a year of, to make friends. So I can't really tell you I made friends because I was skinny. I can tell you I made friends because I was in school for, you know, nine months, 12 months. But in my brain, I'm sure as an 11 or 12 year old, I was thinking, oh, if I'm skinny and you're pretty, then you get everything you want in this world especially if you have a vagina, pardon me, but that's kind of like the sociological law. So if you're a girl, you have to be pretty. And if you're a man, you have to be rich. And if you divert from those things and you're going to have a hard time in life, that's pretty much what I gained. And I never really thought that was fair. I mean, obviously I did major in sociology in college, but I did see that that was like a clear message. Um, so I was anorexic then, and then something clicked, um, something with a counselor, because, you know, in my family, it's very don't ask, don't tell, don't trust, don't feel. So something a counselor said to me enabled me to start eating, and I don't remember what it was. I think it was some epiphany that if I ate peanut butter that day, I wasn't going to gain 30 pounds because I had a lot of fear foods. And it was like, then I ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that day, and it was like euphoria. It was like, oh, my God, I you know, I used to love, I, I mean, even as like a six-year-old, I could have eaten like boxes of cinnamon toast crunch and carbohydrates, peanut butter and jelly and cereal were like, oh man. So, um, instantly I became an overeater again, like instantly. And, um, then when I was about 14, 15, I discovered the power of exercise and all throughout high school, I sustained a pretty low weight by binging throughout the day and then exercising like crazy after school. And something happened about my, a little in my sophomore year, but then again, toward the end of my senior year where it's like, I just got tired. It's like, I just couldn't do it anymore. And, um, I started something happened where I couldn't diet anymore. Cause I could go through periods of dieting in there. Um, and I Dieting was kind of my higher power. Like I knew I was addicted to food from a pretty young age, but I knew that more than that, I was addicted to thinness. Um, like diets were like my go-to always. So if I was sad, I'd go on a diet. If there were boy problems, as if like I was aware enough to even know boys existed, I was way too into myself. But then I would turn to dieting. Or if there was problems in school, I'd turn to dieting. Like my answer to everything was just to go on a diet. And I think it gave me this illusory sense of control and um, so did exercising. And um, yeah, that's all. And so something happened where that control fell out of my hands. And especially around age 19. So I knew my eating was out of control. I knew I was gaining weight. 
And I knew that for me at that time to be overweight, like, I mean, my fear of being overweight was astronomical because I had been so, I've been overweight on and off a lot. So, um, I kind of had the idea in my head that, oh, you know what? I have all these eating problems because I'm anxious and depressed. That's really the problem. So I'm going to go find out what makes me happy and I'm going to go follow my dreams. And then when I'm not anxious or depressed anymore, then the eating problem will go away because I'll be happy. And that's what all the psychologists say. And that's what all the self-help books say. And I like to read a lot of books. So I did that and I moved to like three different countries and then I moved to Los Angeles and to Denver and then I was like helping the poor and I was teaching dance at this Hollywood studio and I was like doing everything I wanted to do and this day I was like binging and purging my brains out in my car because I couldn't decide whether to go to the gym or go to the grocery store or go home first. I mean it was so dumb. It was like I couldn't decide which order to run errands and my life was so unmanageable and I was 23 years old and I paused and I thought oh my my gosh, Rachel, you have everything you ever wanted and you are more miserable than you've ever been. And the more you push to get what you want, and especially the more you actually get it and succeed and follow what make you think, what makes you think is happy, the worse this eating disorder gets. So obviously you don't have an eating disorder because you're depressed and anxious and you need to get happy. Maybe just maybe you're depressed and anxious and happy because you have an eating disorder. Like college degrees, I didn't even have one yet. <laughs> so then I came back to um, Arizona because I knew more than anything, I knew I was powerless over food before I even went to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, and uh, I knew that my parents, I had burned a lot of bridges with my parents. And I knew that the only way I was going to get better is if I went to like three meetings a day, even though I didn't quite know what Overeaters Anonymous was. But I Googled something online like crazy, food addicted, bulimia, Arizona. And then somehow I got an Overeaters Anonymous meeting and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know they had AA for food. And so I went to my first meeting and they read out of the Brown OA book, the story book, and it was instantly my life. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. It's like, I didn't know I had the case of the me too. It's like, oh my gosh, me too, me too, me too. You know, this is so liberating. And so from then on, I thought I need to go to these every day. And so I took out student loans and, um, I went to, I only have five minutes. Okay. And I went to like three meetings a day and I saw a dietitian once a week, saw a therapist once a week and I worked the steps and it changed my life. And, um, I, I've sustained a weight loss of about 40 pounds. Um, sometimes it's 45 pounds. Sometimes it's 40 pounds. Sometimes it's, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. Like my weight fluctuates about five pounds all the time, but it used to fluctuate like 50. <laughs> so I think that's pretty good. Um, in the last eight years, uh, I will say that one of uh, the huge factors for me in getting better in this program was in step two, it says that we became willing to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And that was really liberating for me because I had always had the understanding that I had to clean myself up before I presented myself to a higher power or to God and that I was responsible for 
making sure that I was um, that I was worthy and clean and good, and the fact that God was going to do that and that I didn't have to was amazing. And I grew up in kind of a religion that taught me that God would do it, but nothing ever modeled to me or showed me that I could actually trust that. Um, and to come into a place where everyone said, hey, I'm kind of messed up, and you're kind of messed up, and we can get less messed up together, I was like, wow, that is so, um, that is uh, relieving. Like, I can breathe here. There's no front. And um, there's a lot of shamelessness. Um, another thing that was really important in my sobriety was um, I got a sponsor in my first meeting. And um, just so anyone who's new knows, I had no rhyme or reason for who I picked. I basically pointed to someone and said, people are not answering my questions and they are telling me I need to get a sponsor. How about you? Will you do it? Will you be my sponsor? <laughs> and they said, sure. And I did what they said. And I was lucky enough that they took me through the steps. And um, I learned that my only requirement to do step three was being fully convinced that um, a life run on self-will can hardly be a success, and that most people try to live by self-propulsion. And um, I couldn't afford to live that way anymore. I really couldn't afford to run my life. And that really went against everything that I had been taught as um, an American, as an empowered person, as someone that wanted to, like not be a 1950s housewife and needed to show my mother that I didn't want to be a 1950s housewife. Okay, like all of these things. And um, to let something or someone else run my life and to not want to control outcomes uh, was at first challenging and then liberating, and now I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I do need a couple programs to help me not pick up the director stick because I tend to... Uh, start directing my life without noticing or try to control results. Um, the the other thing that has really given me a life that was introduced that I was introduced to really early in the program is recognizing where I'm playing a part in my own upset feelings. Um, and if I did not have I, if I hadn't had that in my OA recovery language, like from the very beginning, I don't think I would still be here. Um, that was shown to me within the first month of me being in the program. Um, and when I'm upset, I essentially need to ask myself, what choices wasn't I utilizing? You know, whose approval was I idolizing? Was I putting money, power, property, or prestige above spiritual serenity? Or was I hiding secret motives and then blaming others when I didn't get my way? Was I, and it all comes down to, am I being dishonest or resentful, or am I afraid? And if I'm afraid, is it because I might not get what I want? Um, or am I angry because I didn't get what I want? And when did I ever think getting what I wanted was good for me? I mean, isn't getting what I wanted my whole life what brought me to OA? <laughs> and when I remember that me getting my way um, helps me end up in an anonymous program? Like, I mean, we all didn't meet at Harvard. <laughs> Let's be frank, okay? Then maybe it's easy for me to give up a little bit more control, okay? And let the expert kind of run the show, um, my higher power. So, all I can say is when I came in, I couldn't keep a job. Um, I couldn't finish school. I couldn't sit still. I didn't know how to have intimate relationships with men or women. And I had a very separate relationship from my family because I had so much inner turmoil. And I need to be done. But I will say today that um, 
I have wonderful relationships with both men and women. I have a college degree, and it took me seven years to get, but that's because I had a life, and I didn't make my degree my higher power, which was amazing. Um, and I started a business and have kept a photography business going for a few years and have a husband and two dogs and live in a house and pay my bills. And I love my family and I have a niece. And, um, I can tell you that if it were up to my own devices, I don't think any of those things would be there. So, um, thank you to OA for allowing me to keep my hands to myself. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Rachel. And our last speaker is Eddie. Hi, everyone. My name is Eddie, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Sorry. Um, I'd like to thank Nancy, who asked me to share, and the wonderful panel. It's a, a lot to live up to speaking after you ladies. Um, to qualify, um, I have been abstinent since September 15th, 2008, so that's about five years and nine months, and uh, I weigh myself on the first of every month, uh, sponsor-directed, so I'm 68 pounds down from my top weight. Um, I, When I came into these rooms, I was a size 40-inch waist. I was wearing double XL clothing, and... Um, I was miserable. I was very, very miserable. I was 15 years old, uh, 15 and a half. Today, because it's a young people panel, I'll qualify and say I'm 21. Um, <laughs> but I usually, I actually usually don't uh, like to talk about age very much in this program because th this is a 12-step program about food. Um, but I'll talk about that later. I'll, I'll, um, I'll focus a bit more on what it used to be like first for just a minute. Um, I grew up in uh, the San Fernando Valley near Los Angeles, and I, uh, you know, I had uh, my mom, she's disabled, she's handicapped, my dad is uh, a, a gardener, and I, I always, like, felt very um, low income and very, I always just perceived my, myself and my family and my situation as just always being very different from everyone else's. And um, and so food used to kind of give me comfort. It used to give me something to focus on when uh, I didn't want to focus on what my reality was, and um, and what that looked like in in my life. Um, you know, you constantly using the food was, you know, I used to go to the doctor every single month so that he could weigh me and. You know, his booming voice through the whole doctor's office. Oh, you gained another two, three, four pounds this month. And and that's really what, like, m those first 15 years looked like. It was consistent weight gain. Uh, I, ne I never knew what it was like to be in a thin or no normal body before OA. Uh, I never knew what it was like to not be obsessed with food and have it consume my entire 24 hours you know, probably 25 hours. That's how obsessed I was with food. And, uh, and that's, just, that's just what life was like. It was just a constant obsession. And, um, and, and I, I, work, I like to work my program like alcoholics work their programs. And, you know, we hear about the alcoholic that, like, wakes up in a ditch after a binge with, like, twigs in their hair. Well, I'm the kind of binger that, like, I have food stains all over my shirt. And I have, you know 
crumbs around my mouth and or like stains and and that's just it's very it's very like that i am what an alcoholic is with alcohol i am with food as a compulsive overeater um so i th- and uh and i'm also i i should just say really quickly that you know i i would also eat i've already mentioned that i would eat over my emotions but uh one of the biggest emotions that um I would eat over was fear. I'm a big fear-based person, you know. I, I'm still in fear today, and today I have eight tools and a program and a higher power and a sponsor and uh, lots of um, help around that. But before I didn't, and so the food was that crutch. And the food worked until it didn't. Um, I, I tried a few commercial weight loss programs. I tried reading a few books, like for teens and... Um, you know, I remember uh, being really, really resentful for a really long time at my parents. You know, I'm, again, coming from this low-income family, I was really upset that my parents wouldn't shell out a few thousand dollars to send me to fat camp or that, like, I couldn't, um, they wouldn't shell out a few hundred dollars so that I could get shots. You know, 13, 14 years old, all I wanted was these shots so, because that was what was supposed to make me thin and make my life perfect. Um, so what happened was that when I was in ninth grade in high school, I had a teacher who said that she was going to be starting a, there was going to be a youth meeting for Overeaters Anonymous after school on, on a Wednesday at 3.30. And, um, and I was doing a, a commercial weight loss program for the th- third time, I think, because it was going to work that time. And, um, and the night before I was eating, because of course, you know, I was on this diet, so we had lots of 100-calorie-packed foods because that's what you do when you're on a diet. So I was eating, I was eating tons of these 100-calorie uh, packs, and I think I went through the whole co- um, Costco-sized box, which was like 30 100-calorie-pack snacks or something. <laughs> and my mom asked me, like, Eddie, why are you eating so much? And, and, I, and I looked, and I was just, just kind of like looked at her like, what are you talking about? And, and then in my head, I kind of thought, am I overeating? And so the next day I went to um, that first OA meeting. And of course, not without first stopping at the vending machine at school prior to getting there. But um, that's what I did. And, and right before I sat down, uh, I started crying. You know, my teacher asked me, like, what are you, oh, what are you doing here? You know, because um, she thought I was maybe going to pick up an assignment or something. And I was like, well, I'm here for the meeting. And then I just started crying. Um, and, and then I just stayed. And, and I didn't leave. Um, and I, and I have to say, uh, you know, I, I have to mention a few things. One, this program, the weight loss, all of that, it didn't come immediately. It was a, for me, it was a very, very slow process. This was like in May of 2008. And like I mentioned earlier, my abstinence is September 15th of 2008. Um, but this was a very slow process. When I started working with my sponsor, who was my teacher, um, my abstinence, which is still my abstinence today, is three meals and two snacks and nothing in between. So what that means is that, you know, if I'm making my niece a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I lick the peanut butter off my fingers and I break my abstinence. Um, and, and so at 15 or 15 and a half, I thought, okay, I can do that. Like I can not lick the peanut butter off my fingers and when I'm making my niece her sandwich. Um, but when I was 15, 16, 17, and I would open up the big book, I didn't understand what it was saying, and it scared me. And, uh, and then just even, you know, the, I could do the three meals and two snacks and go to that 
youth meeting, but, you know, things like letting go of the food and all these other, you know, things that we hear and we see that work in program, it didn't all make sense to me right away. Much like I've grown as an individual, I've also grown in program, and things have made more sense to me as as my maturity level has also grown. So I do want to say that and say that this program wasn't just immediate fireworks for me, which is really fitting because today's 4th of July. But um, it, that's not, it wasn't 4th of July for me every single day, and it hasn't been. But, um, but this program it has given me, a, uh, like it says on my tag, a, a new freedom and a new happiness. And um, my sponsor is here today. She's in the audience, so she's uh, smiling over at me. And uh, it, it's, really, it's really, really uh, great to be here. I... I want to just right now uh, talk about some of the things that I do. Right now I'm working on the ninth step, um, so I'm working on amends. And I remember being 15, 16, 17, and my first meeting was at the Darby office in the San Fernando Valley, and they have the steps up against the the wall. And I remember saying, like, I'm not going to do any of those towards the, you know, after, like, 4, 5, all the way to 12 but um, I have to say that, you know, everything that I have done in program has come in God's time and not Eddie's time. And, like, every everything that's uh, happened has just been when it's supposed to have happened. Um, some of the, the freedom and happiness that has happened for me... Uh, and Or some of the things that I've done in this program, just, like, little kind of snapshots of what these last five years and nine months have looked like you know when when I was a senior in high school I would and and I would get to school and I would park in the morning at 7 30 I would call my sponsor and and I would read her my that's when I started my fourth step you know and and so I I got to I I got through high school abstinently Um, then I moved away I moved away from home 400 miles and I got through I'm in my I'm going to be entering my fourth year of my uh, undergrad, and I've been able to get through that abstinently. Um, I just uh, I, I lived in in uh, two summers ago. I lived in Costa Rica for two months, and I was volunteering at an orphanage, and that was my first time away from home for that long. And um, I got through that abstinently, and I just got back about a month ago from. Uh, living in Turkey for a year, and I got through that abstinently. Um, I, I and these, you know, a lot of these things. Thank you. A lot of these things, like the traveling and the, you know, whatever, they're not markers of what the ninth step is. What what they and and nor do I say that I've traveled to these places and I haven't been face down in the baklava or ice cream, and that's why I've been abstinent. I say these things because all of these. As a fear-based person, program has allowed me to say yes when I wanted to say no, to say yes, I will go and do this experience, to say yes, I will stand up here at this convention in front of people despite being nervous. Um, I uh, Right now, I'm going through one of the most high-anxiety uh, periods of my life with this internship and with kind of looking at what my life is going to look like. And what I get to do today is I get to wake up every morning 
And before I have breakfast and before I get online and before I do anything else, I read two daily readers, um, Voices of Recovery and For Today, and I read two pages from the big book. Um, I email or text my food to my sponsor every day. Um, I talk to my sponsor regularly. I talk to my fellows regularly. Um, I, what works for me is when I get to three or four meetings, um, I just moved to a different place, and I've been here for about a month, so I'm still getting situated, but um, I, I do meetings regularly. That's an important tool. But I've also lived in places, for example, when I lived in Turkey, um, there was one meeting in the whole country, and I would commute two to three hours to get there. And, uh, and usually the meeting was in Turkish, and I don't speak Turkish. So, but I would go to be of service to the you know, two or three fellows that were there, and... Um, and to show, and you know, the, the fellows that were there that spoke English and listened to the LA podcasts, uh, that's my home group. So, you know, my sponsor has a podcast. And so I was kind of able to show them that like physically there is a body that does these things and works the steps and does, you know, these things because I, I, for today, for just today, I want to, um, be free from the obsession of food. Um, I mentioned that I work this program like Alcoholics Work, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I try to keep this program really simple. So, like, right now it's, like, almost 6 p.m., and I know that for today I have, right now I have 18 hours of abstinence, and I have, like, six more, and six more hours, and I can be abstinent one more day. And that's, you know, that's what I, how I work my program. Um... What else do I want to mention? Uh, I want to say that, uh, okay, I'll talk, I'll spend the last few minutes that I have talking about what it's like being a young person in program, because this is a youth panel. Um, One of the reasons that I mentioned earlier that I don't like to mention my name um, is because I do 100% appreciate when, when people say, oh, you're so lucky, you got it so young. But I came in and I've stayed because I was dying. I was absolutely dying when I came in here. You know, um, I honestly was on the verge of depre- of suicide, and I used to think about killing myself all the time for, like, two years prior to coming in. And a lot of that was just directly a result of me being in my disease completely. Um, so it's important for me when I, you know, when people say that, to, to say thank you. I really do appreciate that, and I do appreciate the life that program has given me. But I came in, and I've stayed for a lot of the same reasons that you've stayed. And um, also when I was 15, 16, 17, I didn't think that people in the rooms, the older people in the rooms, wanted to have a relationship with a kid or whatever. So, so that did make it more difficult. But then I realized, much like the thing with the age, is that we're all sitting in the same room for the same reasons. And when we could talk about that, it gave us something to talk about and something to connect um, about. So, so that was really important for me. I have... I haven't sponsored many, many people because a lot of the people that I've been in meetings with haven't needed uh, someone who has experience, strength, and hope with getting through high school abstinently or, you know, their first three years of undergrad. But, um, but it has, I have, the people that I have sponsored have been men and women two times my age, you know, twice my age. Um, and, and that's been okay because, again, you know, all I can pass on is the way that I work my program and the way that I work the tools and the way that um, I check in with my higher power and with 
um, my sponsor and everyone else. Um, I'm not sure what else I want to say. I don't. Oh, well, I don't have to say anything else because that's my time. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for letting me share. If you guys can come over here, you'll answer the Eddie and Rachel. Could you guys come over here? So uh, we might have time for just one or two questions, but um, and you can answer this in any order or pass whatever you like. But the first question is, how is your relationship with God helping you make your life decisions? I will tackle that one um, first. Um, I pretty much work, um, you know, in the third step of the OA 12 and 12, it talks about the change, you know, that we go from um, running our life on self-will versus God's will um, and how when we're faced with a decision that we have to make, whether it's, you know, I use my higher powers will in every aspect of my life if I can. Um, and so whether it's like, what time do I need to wake up? Like I've slept too long or, you know, um, am I going to accept this job or, um, how am I going to handle that? This person I really cared about just passed away. Um, I always seek to pause, um, and wait for an answer as it says in the third step. And if an answer doesn't come for me, then I don't make any, I don't, I don't do anything until, um, it does come. And usually, um, now I have a feeling of intuition when it comes to my higher power and that is, um, feels really lovely. So. Um, Rachel compulsive eater. How does my relationship with God strengthen my recovery? Is that the question? Oh, no, that's helpful. Um, Well, I'd like to think in a perfect world that I wouldn't be making any decisions and that God would be making all of them. But if you believe what I just said, I have a beachfront property in Nevada to sell you. That's in the Lifeline (laughs) book. There's a joke. (laughs) Um, But there are some pretty specific instructions in step 1011. And I feel like in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I feel like if step 10 when I'm getting rid of my selfishness, resentment and dishonesty and fear, usually if that's out of the way, then my natural preference underneath, I can trust that that might be the way that God designed me to move. Um, as long as I'm keeping in close connection with him in step 11. So in the big book, it talks in step 11, it gives me directions on what to do upon awakening and, before I retire at night. So usually if I'm sure to make conscious contact with a higher power before I go to bed and when I wake up, and then if throughout the day I'm making conscious contact when I'm upset about something, I can almost always trust that what's happening to me is usually God's will or is happening for my transcendence and progress Um, or that what I want to do is a good thing or like I know the spirit of what it feels like I know the difference between I'm demanding to do something because I want to versus, huh, I think I'd really like to do this. Like, they're two totally different things. Um, and I hope that was helpful. Oh, sorry, Eddie. Yeah, no, I'm such a jerk. No. <laughs> it's now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. 
And I think we can stay in this room if people want to do Q&A afterwards with the speakers individually. Um, so let's all stand and join hands as we close with the serenity prayer. <clears throat>